Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. I have a voice and I'm going to use it. This is Joy Silver with Radio 111's podcast, Outspoken. And today, there are so many things that we need to talk about because, well, yes, folks, we are in deep trouble here. I mean, in the United States, yes, and even here in California, and even here in Riverside County. We're going to be talking to Roger Tanzi. He is our guest today, and he's going to he's going to be talking to us about the people versus the president who attempted a coup, making the legal case. Roger, he is a public defender, a deputy public defender, right here in Riverside County. He worked for campaign of uh, congressional campaign of David Roth. He was a senior campaign strategist, and interestingly enough, he worked in the legal community against violence in San Francisco. Roger, how are you today? Good, Joy. How are you? Well, I could be doing better, I think, but we all need to do a little bit better, wouldn't you say? The country could be doing better, that's for sure. Yes, you're always out in the front doing the good work, Roger, and so I'm really excited to be talking to you today about making that legal case against this president who attempted a coup. So, So why not give me a few thoughts about this particular issue that we're, we're, we, ha- we have in front of us, a great challenge, I think, in this country in this moment. We do. And, I, you know, it shouldn't be that challenging. I um, was doing some research, and there's a group in D.C. called CREW, citizensforethics.org. They have a really interesting uh, chart on their website, and it lists uh, the 48 crimes that Trump credibly committed while in office. Mm. <laughs> that's that's astounding when you think of it. We're talking about somebody who was the then president of the United States. Right, right. So, yeah, so it, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, before talking about specific crimes, and frankly, there's so many of them, we couldn't possibly cover them. <laughs> I, thought I, might, <laughs> I thought I might just talk very briefly about what a crime is. Okay. Uh, because you hear people a lot on, on the media saying, well, you know, he'll be hard to convict. Um, they'll never prove the case. And, and I don't think that's true. So I don't, I don't want to get too granular. But a, a crime is a wrongful act called an actus reus, but we can just think of that as a wrongful act coupled with a wrongful intent, a mens rea. So what does that mean? Let's say you and I are watching um, a little, a short movie clip, okay? Okay. And we see a guy walking down the street, middle of the night, stops in front of a house, runs to the house, breaks the window, and jumps in. What would you infer from that, well, what he's doing? Right, I would infer that he's, he's breaking and entering. Right, he's a burglar. Right. So the bad act is breaking in, and the bad intent is breaking into a house and you intend to commit a crime inside. But you can see the intent is is what is inside the guy's head, right? Right. So what if, same movie clip, but what if the defense attorney points out to you, hey, the house was on fire. He was breaking in to see if there was anyone inside who needed saving. Right. So the intent is completely, the act is the same, right? But the intent completely different and when you hear people uh pundits on tv saying well it'll be really hard to convict trump what they're they're talking about is it'll be really hard to prove his his 
unlawful intent. The, the acts seem to be pretty clear. You know, there's enough people around who witness them. And I'm referring to things like um, trying to get Pence to not certify the election. That whole, the whole Eastman-Clark thing. Right. We know what the facts are. I mean, there's probably a lot more to come out, but we know enough now to say those are wrongful acts within the meaning of a number of different laws. But they say you can't prove his intent. Um, It kind of makes me irritated because how do you prove what's in someone's head? You look at what they've done, right? You look at the totality of the circumstances. And, And stop me if you have a question. Okay. So with with Trump... His defense, it has been said, is that he honestly believed he won so that he couldn't commit fraud because fraud is um, making a lie, making a false representation. It's important. It's material. You know it's false. uh, It's false. And you're intending to deceive other people. So those are elements of a crime. Every crime has elements that must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. The elements change depending on what the crime is. That that intent that I spoke about at the beginning of the show, you still have to have whatever the intent is that matches the crime. And most of the time, if Trump truly believed he won, he would not have the criminal intent. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting point there, Roger, because when we're watching the January 6th hearings, and I, and I know that many people, <laughs> I sound like the cult, the cult 45 himself, many people say, but um, uh, many people that speak to me are frustrated with the length of time that it's taking to actually um, prove exactly what you've just uh, um, illuminated and, and, and iterated. But, but truly watching those January 6 hearings they are the, the whole point seems to be proving the intent and bringing people in and and hearing what they have to say that he knew it was a lie and that they're exactly. and so that's what I, that's what I'm I think we're watching would you say exactly you hit the nail on the head and especially Liz Cheney and I have come to admire her I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be saying this but she's an attorney And uh, she is very careful to phrase what she says in legal terms. It's as if she is speaking directly to Merrick Garland. Mm -hmm. And you're right. One of the things they have focused on was were were facts that show his intent, what was going on inside of his head. In in that regard, Cassidy Hutchinson was certainly, I mean, her testimony was incredibly important. How many people... How many people told Trump what he was doing was wrong? Yeah, and, and you know what? I, they they also and and this is where I believe that the Georgia election really comes into play because even at the time when that was being committed, when when this whole thing about find me the votes uh, was playing, I thought, well, they've got them because this just shows that. He already knew that he needed extra votes and he was pushing people to give him the votes regardless. And I think that serves the purpose of intent. So he knew that he was already on the way to losing. And then finally, of course, uh, Mr. Barr telling him that the whole I mean, that that was that that was an incredible moment when it happened. Never mind using it to prove intent. 
The problem is, and I don't, I mean, I don't know that it's really, I don't think it's a real problem, but even the, the phone call to Raffensperger, yeah. I have heard people say, look, if he honestly thought he won, he's not saying find illegal votes. He's saying, I won, there's cheating, assuming he honestly believed that, um, then it wouldn't be a crime. And all he was saying to the secretary of, of the Georgia secretary of state was, was go find the, the, the rightful votes that are mine. You could argue it that way. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying I believe that, but there is a counter argument to that. Um, and when we talk about proving things, let's be clear, though, we're talking about proving it to a jury. Right. Right. The, the judge doesn't decide it. The DA doesn't decide it. The prosecutor doesn't decide anything. A jury does. So there was a poll that came out last week, and it was almost 60 percent of Americans. I think just from watching um, the January 6 hearings, 60 percent of Americans thought that he should be indicted. So that tells me a good prosecutor could convict him. Mm-hmm. Because you would have a jury listening to the evidence day in and day out. And if 60% of your average Americans already think he should be indicted, I don't see where the problem is. Right. And I I also, um, the whole tenor of the January 6th to unravel it in this way and to focus until finally after hearing as much evidence and as many people speaking about the situation. I mean, even I thought I thought uh, his daughter, Ivanka, um, her, her statement alone, this is the daughter saying that she also believed Barr after that. I mean, that was a very uh, incriminating moment, I think, for the public to see. This was his own daughter who was right there with him on the day of the um, the election, uh, the uh, certification day, rather. Yes, I mean, apparently the only person who told Trump that he actually did win was a drunken Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, and so, he, yeah, and it, so it's turning out you know? that, yeah, drunk Giuliani, or Fuliani, as we, as we sort of called him back in New York, um, and also Mark Meadows, right, and, and pushing him to take this step and to continue forward. And, and this whole idea that he, the whole violence thing, I mean, that's just one piece of it. Did he believe there was a, did he believe he won or not? I mean, that's only a small piece of this, really, in, in, in essence, because that, the whole concept of violence and insurrection. I, I'm always confused by this, Roger. Maybe you can help me out with this. But First of all, now treason, there's a difference between treason and sedition. There's a huge difference, and they're very different. Um, Treason, first of all, requires uh, a declaration of war. And so you need a hostile power with whom the United States would be literally at war with. And then the person accused of treason is conspiring with that foreign power. So it's completely incorrect to say that... um, this is a question of treason. It's a question of sedition. Right. And so, I mean, it's pretty clear that if and when, and I say I would like to say when, but everyone who was in collusion with this big lie and the insurrection attempt and, and, and also what happened to the Capitol, any of these congressional people or from the Senate or from the House, they can, according to the 14th Amendment, Section C... They cannot hold office. Well, that would rec- <laughs> you're right as a matter of law, 
But whether there is the political will to do anything about it is a whole different question. And sadly, speak, you know, so far to date, that hasn't been there. Well, it's very positive what you said about 60 percent of the people, because and that's at this point in time when they're looking at this. Yeah. Right. So that's a, that, because one of the questions was, how do you find a jury that's unbiased at this point in time? I don't think it's that hard. We go through, uh, I'm a trial attorney, and at the beginning of every trial, there is a portion called voir dire. It's from the old French meaning to see and to tell. And the attorneys take turns questioning the jurors very, very granularly, in a very detailed manner, trying to find biases, prejudices. You, You can't really find people uh, who are in favor of you, but the purpose is to try to find people who are biased against you. Mm. And so during voir dire, obviously a huge focus would be on finding Trump supporters um, or people who hate him. You know, you, I mean, it, it sounds impossible, but you would, you would be able to find people who don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, or who tell the judge the magical words, I think I could be fair. I wouldn't be biased or prejudiced. Well, and then there's this whole question of of uh, tampering with the witnesses now that that um, that we're hearing about, and, and that maybe Cassidy Hutchinson had been a witness that was tampered with before they stopped paying for her legal her legal fees and her, for her for her legal uh, consultations. She actually was one of the witnesses who had received the text message, right. It- and it came from um, an undisclosed or unnamed staffer of Mark Meadows. <laughs> they haven't they haven't said who it was, <laughs> who it was yet. But yeah, that's a pretty good case of witness tampering. Yeah, and I know that, and I know that uh, from my reading, I know that there are more what they're seeing that those funds that they had been raising, some of that money had been given to some of the defense for some of these so-called witnesses, you know, for the witnesses for this case. But I have a, a larger question to ask you. And since um, a president is a commander in chief, if they're committing seditious acts against the Constitution, shouldn't that uh, shouldn't that commander in chief be prosecuted in a military court? You know, that's an interesting question. I don't know military law, so I don't know the answer to that. As with any prosecution of Trump, the question really is, you know, is is there the political will to do it? I think the criminal law, um, you can easily make a case that he should be charged and tried. But whether Merrick Garland um, will do it, you know, every prosecutor has two questions that they ask themselves. Can I charge this person? And under, under, under the law, could I prove the elements of the crime beyond a reasonable doubt? That's the first question they ask. If the answer is yes, then the second question is, should I? Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, Merrick Garland is on the second question. Should I charge him? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Up until very recently, uh, he did not appear to be investigating the upper echelons of the Trump administration at all. Isn't it, isn't it less a case? I'm not saying that Trump isn't responsible for these acts, but isn't it less of a case about him than it is about the system that put him there? I don't know about the system that put him there, but surely what to do with him once he was there. Mm-hmm. You know, do we do we still have, is it true that no man is above the law? Right. So far he has. 
you know, so far he has been. Mm-hmm. Tell me, uh, you had mentioned these 48 crimes, and I know that our listeners are interested in hearing what the crimes are, the prosecutable crimes. So could you talk a little more about that? Yeah, let me let me talk about three of them. And these three crimes, I think, are important because um, I don't know if you're aware, there was a court case in Southern California concerning Eastman. And I don't need to get into the weeds of that case. But uh, one of the things that came out of that was a, a federal judge in Southern California found that it was more likely than not. He found probable cause to believe that Trump and Mr. Eastman had committed at least three crimes. Mm. And so I think those are interesting for that reason alone. Now, the standard in a criminal trial is beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Right. But you have a federal judge saying it is more likely than not that Trump committed an obstruction of an official proceeding. Uh, For your listeners who might be interested, that's 18 U.S.C. 1512 C2. And that is um, corruptly trying to obstruct or influence or impede an official proceeding. And obviously, that's what January 6th was all about. Mm-hmm. Another crime, and these are the three crimes the judge found, more likely than not, that Trump committed. Um, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Right. Uh, and the elements of that are Let's see. Fraudulently inducing someone to commit an offense against the U.S., which in this case was basically overthrowing the government. Uh, And then the third crime was just your basic garden variety common law fraud case. Those are the three crimes that a judge found more likely than not. Now, there are many, many, you know, others as well. The one that I find interesting, you actually alluded to it earlier, is seditious conspiracy. Mm -hmm. That judge didn't have that on the table because we didn't have um, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, but her testimony was critical in bringing up the possibility that Trump may have committed seditious conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's punishable by 20 years in prison. And what her testimony was so critical about was this idea of force. Seditious conspiracy requires uh, a conspiracy to oppose by force the authority of the United States or to try to prevent the execution of any law of the U.S. So that was, again, what was happening on January 6th, right? Mm -hmm. But her testimony was critical because what she tied in with the elements of that crime, one of those elements is this idea of force. And for the first time, we knew that Trump knew his supporters were armed. Um, he literally told the Secret Service to take down the magnetometers so that my, um, my, my supporters with guns can come into the ellipse. Mm. We know um, he wanted to lead his armed supporters to the Capitol. <laughs> Think about that. What was he going to do when he got there? Well, he was... Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't worried about them hurting him. I mean, that was his, that. That comment alone was uh... <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you know, when people say, "Oh, well, you know, it'd be very hard to convict him," I don't think so. You've got, you know, if you do the voir dire of the jury properly, if you truly get people who are unbiased and fair, 
I can't imagine they hear the testimony, just the public testimony that we've heard so far. I cannot believe uh, he would not be convicted. You know, you had talked about Liz Cheney and, and her, um, and that she was a lawyer. And it seems to me that really, and, and what I loved about the, gen, the, the last round of uh, January 6th hearings was it was mostly Republicans. I mean, almost all Republicans that were speaking. Uh-huh. And I think that mm-hmm. that was a critical part of, of the building blocks of making this case to the American public. It wasn't, you know, you cannot turn around and say, well, it's Democrats trying to blah, 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 you know. I mean, here it is. It's the whole internal mechanism of all very, very Republican. No, is Liz Cheney not a Republican? I mean, in this day, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> you, you had even mentioned before how you were feeling about her. I, I mean, when Democrats think Liz Cheney is a hero, you know, we've got some we've right. got problems here, right? Never would I think that right. I would be saying such a thing. But, well, but when I think about Liz Cheney, and I see that this, you know, and I look at this and I say, well, the women are standing up, right? And I mean, it's very important to see that, um, that the women are standing up. Liz Cheney has to really, really make sure that there are, that the penalties for what has been committed and what has happened here are of the highest level. Because this will be the either the making of her career or the end of her career. Yes, she was, she's been very brave. I mean... She's 30 points underwater in her state. She has sacrificed her career pretty much in Congress, at least. And I admire her enormously. Um, she really is. She is on Trump's tail and she's not letting go. I, and I, I don't think that I don't think she can. I mean, I, I, I have often thought this um, and, and many people that speak to me also feel like this. I mean, I, I think she's either running for president or she's out of politics. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's either or, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's gonna. It's it, the contrast is stark as it is. I mean, it, it it's really and truly there, and so it's really up to her to skewer and to lead this to as far as it can possibly take, as far into the Republican Party as she can go, or or there, or or it's. I think it's already over for the Republican Party, but it's sort of her her effort to grab the reins of the party and have it have it uh, sit back and go forward again. I mean, it's no longer a party situation. It's either people who are who want democracy for the United States or at least the idea of democracy and to move towards that dream because we know right. we don't have democracy per se, but moving towards that or it's going to be totalitarianism and dictatorship. I mean, I don't really see that there's there's uh it is as stark a contrast as either Liz Cheney runs for president or she dies or her political career dies. Yeah, I think she's kind of the William Buckley of our day. Um, you know, he pulled back the Republican Party from the John Birch Society in, what, the late 50s, early 60s? Yeah, that's right. But you know what? The, the difference is they're not following her the way they did William Buckley. Yeah. Well, and I think about, uh, some people talk about, well, uh, I mean, I always go back to the the issue really uh, goes back to Reagan. Reagan was the the crown flowering of what we're now what we're now dealing with. But a lot of people will say, well, it was Nixon. In fact, I actually had that conversation uh, this morning walking the dog, um, and <laughs> and they were saying, well, it goes back to Nixon. I'm saying yes, but the Republican Party are the people that went to Nixon and said you have to resign. Right. 
That's right. really, really far away from where we are today. Really far away. Sadly. Very sadly so. So what direction do you think that the um, the prosecution in this in this uh, scenario can t- can take to nail down the uh, the intent and fully prove the intent? I think it's already been proven. I think we're on we're on the second prosecutor's question. Should I indict? Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't know how he doesn't at this point. The evidence. Liz Cheney is, is forcing Merrick Garland's hand, I think. Um, yes, it's terrible to prosecute a former president. Yes, the, the, the optics are awful, the incoming administration prosecuting you know, the outgoing administration. But this has never happened before. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we have reached the point where to not prosecute him would be worse um, than, uh, I'm sorry, Yes, to not prosecute Trump would be worse than prosecuting him. Yeah. And uh, the political will, what do you see that? Do you think we can, uh, you think there's political will is there? I think so now, yes, because the DOJ has started doing investigations that we can publicly see. You know, they took John Eastman's phone away from him in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you know. So we can, we're starting to see evidence of a, of a large investigation at the federal level, which should have started a year or two ago. It's, it's absurd that you have the Department of Justice complaining that the January 6th committee won't give them interview transcripts. Well, why weren't you interviewing these people first? Right. You know, usually, usually DOJ is out front and is ahead of Congress because the Department of Justice has far more powers at their disposal than Congress. Congress isn't an investigative agency. As, as we've seen, you can ignore a congressional subpoena pretty much with impunity. You don't ignore a subpoena from the Department of Justice. If you do, you'll end up in jail. Well, I think that you've given us some positive view on this. I think that the reason we're seeing the congressional investigations versus the DOJ is to have that political will. And I want to thank you, Roger Tanzi, for your thoughts today here on Radio 111's podcast, Outspoken. This has been Joy Silver. Thank you so much, Roger. I'm sure we'll be inviting you back. And um, until next time... Stand up, fight back, and never give up.